Joe, go to hell. The podcast with everything paranormal. It's the 222 Paranormal Podcast coming to you in 2023. And today we're going to hell. We're going to hell. Everybody already thinks we're doing that. So (laughs) today's the day, Joe. How many people have you talked to that's when they find out that you have a paranormal podcast, they think you were devil worshipers? All of them. I'm like, come on. They look at me like she has three heads. I'm like, dude. Like everybody's into it these days. <laughs> the cool kids are the into it. The paranormal is not just ghosts, ghostesses. And ghostesses and demons. And demons. And this. No. It's There's so much more. History. It's Bigfoot. It's Chupacabra. Chupacabra. It's anything that's not normal. Uh, which is us. Yeah. And all our listeners, and we're proud of that. But today, our show idea was sent to us. From one of my friends who is in England, Paul Mann. Clark, hello, Paul, across the pond. Thank you for listening and and giving us this show idea. I met Paul probably 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. He was um, one of my friend's boyfriends and then husbands at the time. Um, But then he went back to England. But that's a whole nother paranormal story (laughs) we won't get into. But um, anyways, no, it's just really interesting because there's so much history. So many haunted locations in England. Oh, yeah. I mean, like every little probably town and and shire is <laughs> shire. Was, is um, haunted or has some kind of haunting history. And that's, you know, one of Joe and I's goals is to get over to England, yeah, before, Scotland, and Ireland someday before, before we, we croak. recorded, I was asking Jen, I'm like, what will it take us to get over there? And the big thing is time. You yeah, know, we can raise the money. We just have to get the time. Yeah. And, you know, if not, I can, if we don't have enough money, I just get on one of those um, uh, cargo ships going over there. And, <laughs> you know, which did you know, I don't I don't know about ocean bound. I think they are ocean bound, but you can actually rent space on one of those containers mm-hmm. or business type ships. And they rent out the rooms just like the cruise ships do, except it's zero frills. It's just <laughs> you're on the boat, you eat when they eat, you know, yeah. it's like, but people do that and people actually travel the world on these commercial ships as cruise ships. Oh my gosh. I couldn't imagine being in the ocean in one of those storms. You ever watch those shows? Oh, yeah. that, oh God. <laughs> I have no desire to take a cruise. <laughs> really? We're, I don't. Oh my God. There's so much fun. Let me go out. West to the Redwoods or to England. You'd have to be on a plane for eight hours. That's okay. Yeah. It was um, when I went the first time I went overseas, I went to Germany, but then I also went to England and Ireland. And our trip to London was so great. We went from Detroit to Chicago, Chicago to New York, New York to um, London, 
And we almost missed our plane in Chicago. We were literally running through this terminal trying to catch our plane because our plane had been delayed. And um, it was great. We had a great time and didn't know anything about, um, you know, the hauntings back then. Yeah. I was just not into it. But the castles, the churches, the abbeys, oh, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, one thing that you did was when you kissed the Blarney Stone. Yeah, in Ireland. Um, you literally are up like 10 floors up. And you lay down on your back and they have these rails and you pull yourself out to kiss the Blarney Stone. And there's literally this gap of nothing and people have to hold you <laughs> so you don't fall. It was like right now I probably couldn't do it because my anxiety. But back then, you know, I was young and fearless and did it. And that was so amazing. But we went to this castle called Bunratty Castle in Ireland and they did a um, like a medieval type dinner and yeah. show and they were singing Danny Boy at the end. Oh my gosh, talk about just emotional. <laughs> and I sat in the king's chair. Yeah. And you weren't supposed to, and I didn't know. And I sat it, and Tammy took my picture. <laughs> so I had this picture of me in this like thousand year old king's throne. Oh. Oh my gosh. It was so awesome. <laughs> but, anyways, back to the lecture at hand. Don't, hell fire. We're going to hell. So. You know, Paul's suggestion was to talk about the Hellfire Club mm -hmm. and the Hellfire Caves that are in England. Now, the Hellfire Caves are outside of London, and they're in um, a small area just north, like northwest, yeah, kind of northwest of London. And it's around Piddington and Highcombe. You're also uh, near Watford. And so that... You know, it's probably just an easy day trip out of London. You probably could probably take the bus or the, the train out that way. Now, the club that Joe's going to be talking about is more um, different location. It like, is. It's in Dublin. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the club before we talk about the caves. Yeah, before it was called the Hellfire Club, it was actually a hill. And this hill was an old ancient burial site. And it, it was actually almost like a burial mound that had uh, passageways inside of it where the burials take, took place. It was called Mount Pelier Hill, which is a 383-meter, 1,200-foot hill in County Dublin, Ireland. It's commonly referred to the Hellfire Club because of the building that was placed on there and then subsequently became the Hellfire Club. The building was a hunting lodge built around 1725 by William Conley. It was originally called Mount Peeler. And the thing about this was, was he wasn't rich at all. But his father saved up money so that he could go to law school. And by him going to law school, he became wealthy and was able to buy land because at the time, Ireland was trying to raise money because they're in wars. So he saw this land. But the thing was that this ancient burial site was on that land. He could have picked anywhere he wanted, but he was basically so rude and so ruthless. Mm -hmm. He wanted that spot. So he went up there, bought the land, tore down that 
ancient burial mound used the material he took out of there to build this hunting lodge. Oh my goodness. So it's a huge building, almost looks like a cathedral. And I think that's one of the reasons why they used it as a Hellfire Club later on was because of for one, where it was where it was located. Mm-hmm. Two, William Connolly, the way he was and being so ruthless, he built it as a as a lodge. Well, once he built it, there was a bad storm. And legend goes that the devil himself caused the storm and blew the roof off of the building. Now, the thing is, if the devil wanted to destroy the building, he could have destroyed the whole building, but he just blew the roof off. Well, William Conley went back and built the roof out of stone so it would never happen again. Oh, wow. So basically, it wasn't the Hellfire Club to begin with. It was just a hunting lodge that he wanted to build on the land of an ancient burial site. I believe he passed away, and I'm not sure, but I believe his family or someone rented this building out to these members that changed it into the Hellfire Club. Now, the Hellfire Club ran from 1735 to 1741 and used Mount Mount Peeler as a meeting place. Stories of wild behavior, debauchery, and occult (laughs) practices um, manifest and have become local legend and lore over the years. The original name of the building was lost through history, Mm -hmm. and it basically just became the Hellfire Club. Now, several people have went there, and being that it was a secret society, a lot of people don't know who was there, but there were some prominent people. Now, the thing is, the Hellfire Club was known as being a place where they summoned and believed that the devil himself actually visited there on several occasions. One of the stories is that there was a meeting going on, and in the meeting they were playing cards. And some a stranger came to the door, and they didn't recognize his accent. Even though it was a secret society, this stranger showed up at the door and they let him in. While they were playing cards, one of the people that were playing cards dropped a card on the floor. When he looked down, he noticed that the stranger didn't have feet. He had hooves. Oh. So they believed that this person was the devil himself. Oh. And the two people that noticed that he was the devil disappeared that night and was never seen again. And the story goes is that because they saw that he was the devil, they were taken to hell. Oh, local legend has it that the devil was so enraged by him building this lodge is the one, like I said, that blew the roof off. Well, that led to the belief that, the devil was in the building or would always come back to the building. So one of the things that always happened during the ritual um, meetings was that during these meetings, they would have dinners, they would have parties, mm-hmm. they would have debauchery, you mm-hmm. know, everything you can imagine. And they believed that the devil would always show back up. So they left a plate and a spot at the table, always open for the devil. Oh my goodness. Now, Legend has it that human sacrifice started to happen there mm-hmm. and all things like that. Now, after a while of all this debauchery and that, it ended up that the building itself caught on fire. So they actually moved their Hellfire Club into an estate that was part of the land 
that William Conley built. He also built a big house on the property itself, and they moved all their debauchery and all their mm-hmm. parties to that place, which became the Hellfire Club. Okay. Now, the original lodge building is a tourist trap now. People can go there. And people that have been there have seen, they say that they see a cloaked hooded figure with horns. Oh. They say that they see the devil there. They have amazing encounters with apparitions, EVPs, all this stuff. And they believe that the ghosts that haunt this place, one is the devil himself, and others are members that have passed and are going back. But they believe also that they think that there was human sacrifice there. And a lot of the spirits that they see in this building are those that they sacrificed. Oh my gosh, that would be so scary. (laughs) And the thing is, when we say Hellfire Club, and this is one thing that I was trying to figure out is we have the Hellfire Club, but we also have the Hellfire Caves. And I was trying to figure out the um, connection connection between the two. Now, it is said that, and I know you're going to mention this, but it is said that a lot of the members of the Hellfire Club, once they opened the caves as the Hellfire Club or caves, they started going there for the rituals that happened mm-hmm. there. But there were several Hellfire Club or clubs named Hellfire all over England mm-hmm. and um, all over Dublin, stuff like that. There were ones like the Duke of Wharton's Club. He called that a Hellfire Club. You had Sir Francis Dishwood Club, which was also considered Hellfire Club. Some of the other ones, Sir Francis Club was never originally known as a Hellfire Club, but after a while they did start calling it a Hellfire Club. So some of the names that it actually became was the Brotherhood of St. Francis of um, W.Y., so it's Y. Mm-hmm. The Order Knights of the West Wickham, the Order of Ferris of St. Francis of Wickham, and several other names like that. So when we talk about Hellfire Club, there were a lot of different clubs that they ended up calling the Hellfire Club. And what I think it was was I think a lot of these members – made up their own, but they were still members of the main Hellfire Club. Well, sure. You probably have landowners from all over England, you know, rich and wealthy men, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, that, um, you know, branched off and probably did their own in their own areas. Uh, But it's it's very interesting, you know, like the Hellfire is kind of cloaked with their name of St. Francis, you know. So it's like people think it's like this legitimate... Secret society or or gentlemen's club, but it's really just men behaving badly and Very doing badly. naughty things, yeah. right? Um, one of the things that they did at the Hellfire Club in Dublin was that they believed that the devil came in as a black cat because there was a very large black cat that used to hang out at the club. Mm-hmm. And they would find that there was a lot of black cats. And the thing is, nowadays when people go there, one of the shadow figures they see is a black cat. Oh. And they also say that they see cats that will vanish. Like, oh. You know, mm-hmm. like um, ghost cats. Ghost cats. Because yeah, one yeah. of the stories is that during one of the parties, and everybody was partying and all kinds of things that you can imagine were going on, there was a cat that walked through. And a couple of the guests 
doused the cat in alcohol and set it on fire oh my God. and watched it run around until it died. Flaming cats. Since they did that, though, that's when all the hauntings of the cats start to show up. Mm. So they believe that the devil himself shows up as a cat. But some of these other clubs, like the Dashwood Club, had, you know, they all kind of disbanded. But in 1762, the Earl of Brute appointed Dashwood his chancellor, and he basically became like a tax collector, okay? And he took this to another level where he started being more violent and stuff like that. And being that he wanted to have his club going on, people started to go against him because he was this tax collector. Mm -hmm. And even though that it was almost like a, an honor to be so evil in these clubs, he was like going on beyond that. So that's how that mm -hmm. disbanded people just, got tired of his crap yeah and started up their own clubs and that's how a lot of these clubs you know come and go what is it about secret societies that people are just so drawn to is it the not knowing the unknown like what really goes on uh-huh another one which is kind of related is called the phoenix society in 1781 dashwood's nephew joseph um alderson founded the Phoenix Society, later known as the Phoenix Common Room. But it was only in 1786 that the small gathering of friends associated themselves was recognized as an institution. The day Phoenix was established in honor of St. Francis, who died in 1781, but secret societies of today actually still recognize themselves as being a part of this one. Okay. And even though the officially disbanded, mm -hmm. they say that the Phoenix Society is still one of the ones that's going on now that people don't know about. They don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where it's being held or that, but... but it's a secret. It's a secret. So... I know that you talk, You have looked up the information about the caves, which is not in Dublin. That's actually in Ireland like or in England, like you were saying, by London. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go over a little bit of that? Sure. So, you know, the Hellfire Caves are also known as West Whitcomb Caves. Now, it's a network of man-made chalk and flint caverns um, that extended like 250, 260 meters underground. Uh, situated above the village of West Wickham at the southern edge of the Chilterin Hills near High Wickham in um, Buckinghamshire, southwest England. So it's just looks like it's like northwest of London, not far outside of the center of London. So these caves were actually excavated between 1748 and 1752 for Sir Francis Dashwood. He was the 11th Baron of Dispenser, the second baronet, whatever that means. I'm not familiar with the hierarchy in England that good, but I'd love to know that, like how all those. Anyways, um, he is the founder of the Society of the Dilettante, or the co-founder of the Hellfire Club, whose meetings were held in these caves. So the caves have been operating as tourist attractions ever since 1863. But can you imagine being a tourist like 100 years ago and going into Hellfire Caves? <laughs> it would be so cool. But the thing is, they, to them, they're old. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they were originally built in the 1700s. Right. That's so crazy. So it was originally a chalk mine and it was supposedly had ancient origins and was believed to have existed above um, West Whitcomb for centuries. Um, during the late 1740s, they were trying to combat local poverty. So Sir Francis Dashwood commissioned an ambitious project to supply chalk for a um, straight three miles road between West Wickham and High Wickham. So then it was like a busy London Oxford road, which is now the A40. So that's like their expressway. And so he hired local farm workers and the impoverished and it helped because there was several droughts and failed harvests at that time. So he basically, you know, had like this public works type project that kept people working in these caves to mine the chalk and, and put food on the table because, you know, back in the 1700s, it was very hard to find. You're very self-sufficient, mm-hmm. right? Everything, you know, you just couldn't go down to the local pub and... <laughs> you know, grocery store. Um, but there was a close friend of Sir Francis Dashwood. His name was Paul Whitehead. Now, he was the secretary and steward to the Hellfire Club. So when he died in 1774, he requested that his heart be placed in an urn and stored at the mausoleum at West Wickham. So this was done, but allegedly the heart was stolen by an Australian soldier in 1829. The legend holds that Whitehead's ghost haunts the West Wickham Caves and the hills around it, searching for his heart. Numerous visitors and staff have reported seeing a man, um, always dressed in old-fashioned clothing, wandering the passageways. And when they face him or he comes in contact with him, he just disappears, like vanishes into thin air. Now, his heart was sealed within and carried in a large and grand procession up the hill to the mausoleum where it was interned. But by all accounts, that was not left for him to rest in peace. So um, with the heart apparently quite often taken out of its urn and shown to visitors, it really was felt that that was stirring up his ghost and that there was actually one visitor who stole the heart from the mausoleum and that is when Paul Whitehead's um, apparition started making appearances. So after the theft, the shade of Whitehead was seen flitting around the gardens of West Wickcomb House. And then after the urn was moved into the caves for safe keeping, um, visitors began reporting encountering the apparition of a man in seven or 18th century clothing on the hillside near the mausoleum and inside of the caves. Um, he would be mistaken sometimes for a member of the staff, maybe dressed in historical clothing, but then he would fade away right in front of people's eyes. There was another legend, and I think, Joe, you were telling me about this before we started recording, of what they call the light, the white lady. Yeah, she's the most common scene. Yeah, so this is like a really popular legend, and many people, you know, have reported seeing this for a long time. So it was the legend of Suki, which was um, a nickname for Susan. Her real name was Susan, and they call her the White Lady. So at the time, she was 16 or 17 years old, and she was a barmaid at the local George and Dragon Inn, which is still 
open to this day. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. So, you know, we have to go there and have a beer. <laughs> um, Joe, you're going to have to start drinking beer if we go to England. <laughs> I'm sure they sell root beer. Yeah, right. Um, so in the late 18th or early 19th century is um, when she was working at this as a barmaid. And, you know, back then it was just a whole different thing. Like, you know, it, women didn't have a whole lot of rights, right? So... And they got married very, very young, right? Cause yeah, they, like they 12. Did, they didn't live long, right? Mm-hmm. The life expectancy, like if you live to 50, you were old. I'm like, ooh, I made it past that. Um, but she was very attractive, and many men sought after her affection, but Suki wanted to marry into society. You know, that was a big thing back then is like you had to marry up. If you didn't, you know, you didn't have status or class or money, so it was a huge game almost of people mostly you know like mothers trying to calculate and almost politically marry their daughters into families so they could have more status or get a title but anyways just because she was a barmaid um you know she wanted to marry into society but she would keep rejecting all the advances of her male admirers now she began dating this local aristocrat. So one day she receives a message from her beau, um, assumedly, to meet him in the caves one night, wearing her best white dress as a wedding gown. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is it. I'm going to get married and I'm going to move up in society and get out of this tavern. Well, she arrives in her dress and it was a beautiful dress, probably cost her all of her wages, <laughs> I bet. And there was a note that it was a hoax. So what had happened was three village boys were waiting for her and started teasing her and tormenting her. Now, Suki threw stones at one of the boys and one of the boys laughing threw one back at her, but he knocked her unconscious and it scared them. So they're like, oh my God, what did we do? We, we think we killed her. So they carried her back to the inn, but she died during the night. So stained from her um, being hit in the head with this rock. So the caves in the inn are now haunted by her ghost. So many of the staff and visitors report seeing a girl in a white dress wandering around in the west side passages, which makes sense. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that she's looking for her lost love. And we've had many stories like that. Ghost brides, ghost fiancés, wandering the beaches looking for their, you know, mm-hmm. love who got lost at sea or whatever it is now. What's interesting is that these caves are purported to hold a frightening amount of paranormal activity. So there are many, many reports of experiences with poltergeist activity, apparitions, um, stones being thrown through the cave. Um, People hear gravel, footsteps in the gravel, smells of fire burning. Uh, They also hear, which is interesting because this goes along with the secret society, is the chanting Mm -hmm. that they report nobody's in there, but they hear chanting coming from the inner temple. Also, people hear babies crying. So part of, you know, the debauchery that went on at these meetings is that they would sacrifice people, Mm -hmm. babies. They're trying to conjure the devil, basically, and get them there. Um, they would have meetings in this inner temple and it would be drunken toasts, yeah. um, contests of wits. Who could tell the dirtiest stories? The spirit of the club was basically 
and kind of firmly pagan in their rituals. They would often gather and have mock rituals and all the manner of like a bohemian indulgence. So basically it was probably an orgy or free for all or whatever. They were probably drinking and illicit drugs or whatever they did back at those those times. Um, They were kind of anti-establishment, even though they were the establishment, right? This is like... That's the thing, you know, about these... There's clubs that go on nowadays that people don't even know about and the elite. I mean, there's one big club, and I can't remember the name, that they meet in the woods and they literally sleep on the ground and all that, but yet these are the world leaders. Mm -hmm. And... So this stuff goes on nowadays. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's kind of like occult and criminal happenings that have been associated with it. But, you know, it's it's no secret that they were doing dark magic mm-hmm. rituals, occult type activities, conjuring the devil, you know, all of the debaucherous type <laughs> um, things. One of the things they, they did was... Um, they had recreated and kind of, I guess, I don't know if they carved it out or whatever, but they would have these tunnels in there and they filled it like a river. And so part of the rituals was reenacting like somebody crossing the river Styx, which is like crossing from one life to the other. So they were trying to, you know, I don't say like, be paranormal investigators but basically they were kind of the the forefathers of paranormal investigation they're trying to figure out what's going on on the other side so they also had created outside the entrance of the caves it kind of made it look like a gothic church so you know people are like you know it's a club but then it's also like was it a religion or was it um something a hybrid now you can go into these club or these caves now they um, have been open since like 1951 as more of a tourist attraction type thing uh, they were open from the 1800s but it's now um, been reinforced and updated and made modern they have electric you know lights in there Um, I guess you don't use torches anymore yeah, <laughs> which is kind of cool, but um, I guess that would be dangerous. Also, you know, now there was all these little small like chambers in there. So basically they were just like little rooms where they would do whatever. And um, they now have like um, put up some like mannequins in there. And yeah, I saw I pictures saw that. of that. I was like, oh, my God, I, that would be scary if you're in there in the dark and all of a sudden you would just see like this mannequin. Well, the like, thing is, too, they up. they have they turn it into a. Halloween attraction too, oh. so they have all the mannequins and all that. But it's a tourist trap. I mean, that's what they do. Yeah. One of the most evil things that was ever created is actually pretty popular over there, but here in the United States, they're just evil. Is only like a half mile from there, and it's called the Pedestal Roundabout. What is that? It's a roundabout. That links <laughs> A40 to Wickham Road. I hate roundabouts. It's evil, evil. Roundabouts are evil. I just love those pictures where people just like 
Dukes of Hazard right over the top <laughs> of roundabouts. Well, England's famous for yeah. But um, I just when I was looking at the map here, it just if anybody, any of our listeners have been there, please tell us about it. We want to hear. Um, call us up and we'll uh, we'll put you on the show. But it's it, been on a lot of the TV shows. Yeah. But I just watched one this morning because I wanted to prepare for the show. So I looked up and there's a lot of haunted teams that have done videos mm -hmm. at this location. Yeah. And they say that they've got a lot. I know that during the one I was watching, it actually was really bad because they had a psychic and he just talked to, he, he was acting like he never knew about it, but he said the exact word for word history mm -hmm. of like the woman in white or the owner, you know what I mean? It's like that, but during the, the filming, they were all talking and you could hear a baby cry. That's Aww. when you mentioned about the baby cry, it reminded me, you could hear it audibly in the recording. Mm -hmm. And one of the people that was with them did bring up a good point is they said that bats make that sound. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe. But they said, well, it's possibly the bats because bats make that sound. I don't know. But that's one of the things that they hear in there is babies crying. But you never know like what the echo or the audio is in, in different, you know, caves or the thing about this cave though, the way that it was carved out is it's almost like a soundproof oh, place. Okay. Because, you know, we've been in caves before mm -hmm. and a lot of them don't echo because the way they're cut out and that's the way this one is. Okay. Oh, that's interesting, though. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's no reason it, it couldn't have been something paranormal. You never oh, know. Yeah. Like, I was just, this is unrelated, but I just watched this video the other day. It was, um, there was a car that they had pulled out of the water. They thought, you know, somebody had been in it. Mm -hmm. And they pulled it out of the water and they, it's on the video. And the girl's like, help me. And they thought somebody was still trapped inside. Yeah. And there was nobody in there. Mm -hmm. It was really bizarre. I remember years ago, we did a story about something like that where people, yeah. where paramedics were hearing a girl crying, yeah. yelling, help my baby. Yes, I remember that. And they found out the woman was decapitated. Yeah. Yeah. But they saved the child. How mm -hmm. oh, creepy. Very creepy. But, you know, guys, it's our goal. We all got to go to England. Yes. We have got to go there. We have got to see these caves. We got to see some haunted locations. And, you know, Paul, send us some more uh, ideas. We'd love to do more shows on uh, some of the really, really old historic. And, you know, it's like our country is not in the grand scheme of things that old. No. Right? Like, no. But, but you talk yeah. about England and Ireland and Scotland. You're talking thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of years of history and and hauntings and haunted locations and so much emotion yeah did you see a cat yes it's the <laughs> damn white cat walking back there Joe's it's the big white one the white devil but anyways folks well thanks for devil, joining us devil. today if you like what you hear please like and subscribe to our channels and remember we can't do it without you so please share our show with everybody if you like what you hear tell a friend about us that's the big thing that the word of mouth helps us a lot. Yeah. And if you are listening to us in England or anywhere outside you, of the States, drop us a hello on Facebook. 
Yes. And if you have any stories that you'd like to share, let us know. Yep. So once again, we thank you for joining us this week. We will bring you another exciting episode next week and have a great week. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye.